Hello there, the monk. Uh, welcome to Being Human. Thank you, Richard. It's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes, and so the, the reason I took an interest in, in you and your work is uh, this concept of conversational intelligence. Uh, so uh, shall we start with what we mean by that and how it's been powerful for you in, in your work? Well, there's a lot to say about conversational intelligence. Uh, actually, it is the ability to uh, amplify the quality of your conversations by creating awareness of what is going on in our brains and what is going on in the brains of the people we have a conversation with. And based on that, um, upregulating and downregulating certain aspects in order to establish trust and to co-create a common outcome co-create a common outcome okay exactly. uh so that's the that's the uh that's the ultimate aim and why is that why is that why is that important why is it important that's a very good question richard um i'm a leadership coach so uh i um support a lot of leaders in their leadership growth and uh in their journey and very often when we take off when we have our intake briefing uh often with their n plus one with their boss we are um, exploring what they want to work on because, you know, what got them here won't get them there and they want to improve. And many times they're talking about, I would like to improve my influence skills. And I'm very happy to help them there. Um, but I always felt a little bit limited there because influence is about having your vision, having your mission, having your plan, your project, and having people on that wave. So um, in terms of how to do that, in terms of how commit people and how to engage people in your project or in your mission or your plan, uh, people tend to think that influence is the best way or is the only way to, to do that. And I always felt that something was missing. And intuitively, I always added things to the journey. But the, two years ago, I, I stumbled upon uh, conversational intelligence, and I tend to believe it was not a coincidence. I uh, got an email from Ben Croft from uh, WBEX, and WBEX is an organization that is uh, creating uh, journeys for coaching, for coaches, and they do a great job. And there was a free webinar on conversational intelligence. And therefore, the first time I um, virtually met Judith Glazer, and Judith Glazer is an amazing woman. Very unfortunately, she left us last year. And she was really focused on how to create we. That is basically how to go from I to we, how to be together in projects and plans and missions. And then she brought this amazing concept of conversational intelligence. And I was like, whoa. That, that's it. That is what I'm missing as a framework, as a, as a model. So two years ago, I started the, uh, the, the first program and then the advanced program and then the certification program. And it really opened my eyes and it also changed my life in a way that uh, I, cre I got a lot more awareness of um, how we build conversations and how we intentionally can do a lot better and how we can really co-create things and co-create the world basically by doing that. And this is a program that I'm always adding in all my coaching journeys. Um, it could be individual coaching journeys. It could be uh, team coaching because it makes people understand how we are how we are wired, basically, because there's a lot of uh, neuroscience involved and how we can uh, create our conversations in a completely different way. Okay, and uh, and what's the rationale though? I mean, what, what's uh, what's you know what's the, what's the problem with having I conversations? Why why do we need to have these we conversations? Why is why is it useful to think about co creation? Because we have much richer outcomes. So so imagine this: you are in a meeting or you are in a conversation with somebody. Um, Judith's model is uh, based on the conversational dashboard, and the conversational dashboard shows five mindsets that you can have when you enter a conversation. So first of all, you have the resistor. Then you have the skeptic. You have the wait and see. You have the experimenter. And you have the co-creator. 
So without going into details about what it is, I mean, just because, just based on, on what you hear, if you have a conversation with somebody, if you have a meeting, what mindset do you want to be in? Well, I guess that, de- I guess, doesn't that somewhat depend on the context of what it is you're looking to achieve? It does. But when you are in a conversation, when you're in a meeting, you want to have an outcome. Normally, you have like a plan or a project or an idea or or something that you want to achieve. And if you are in a meeting room full of people that are in the skeptic of the res- or the resistor mode, you really won't get a lot done. I mean, there will be like negative energy. There will be a lot of argumentation. Interaction will not be rich. People will not explore options. So um, conversational intelligence is about being aware of where you are in that conversation, but also being aware of where the other people are and having the ability to shift their mindsets and to go more into the direction of at least wait and see, but preferably the experiment or like, okay, let's see what this brings. Let's be open, I'm curious. Or the co-creator where you see, I trust you, I trust myself. I know that we will have, um, we will explore everything that is possible to bring into this conversation and to to amplify the the quality of the outcome. Does that make sense? Does that resonate? Yes. So you're amplifying the quality of the outcome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, okay. So what do you mean by that? What do you mean by amplifying the quality of the outcome? Well, I think that we are in a lot of meetings um, where we have this idea of what we want to get out of it. So we prepare like, okay, this is the agenda. These are the points. This is what I want to say. They might probably say this or that. Uh, They might not agree on this or that. And (coughs) excuse me. And um, this is my outcome. So you enter this conversation often with this idea of what is going to happen. And then often it is happening. And then you're happy because things went as you planned. But that doesn't mean that the other person or the other members of that meeting are happy because you might have pushed a little bit. You might have influenced them in a certain direction. And then you might be surprised that when people leave that meeting room or when people leave the conversation, completely different things happen. Does okay. that make sense, or do you recognize yeah, and, and that? Yeah, so, and I think what you're, so what you're describing there would be an I conversation with it. You know, I've gone in with an agenda, and I've got what I wanted. Exactly, exactly. And when I mean amplifying the outcome of your conversation, it means that uh, you probably have not really listened carefully to what other people have to bring into that conversation, what they bring on the table. And that might be uh, other options, other opportunities, other possibilities, but it also might be concerns or, or you know, uh, things that they feel uncomfortable with, things that they didn't have the, the space or the room or the time to to bring that to the table and you missed it. And you think, hey, we had a great meeting. Everybody agreed. Everybody said yes at the end. So yeah, let's do this. But it doesn't happen because other people leave the room and they say, hmm, okay, this was what we agreed on. But actually, I don't feel comfortable or I don't fully agree or I feel that we're missing something. And they create their own script in their head. And then they go to the execution level doing you know, the things that they feel comfortable with or that they feel that they understood was the whole idea or the intention of the meeting, but it is often very different from what was understood by you. And and, okay. and research shows that 90% of the conversations miss their mark. So there's a lot of room work for improvement, I think. Right. 90% of conversations miss their mark. What, mm-hmm. what does that mean? That means that um, things go different afterwards than what you agreed of on or what you expected or supposed that you are agreeing on. Okay. Um, or people just don't do it. Right. Or they don't follow through or they're not fully engaged or they're not committed. And especially if it's like a long-term project where a lot of people have to invest a lot of energy and go out of their comfort zone. If your fundamentals, if your basics were not uh, optimized, then you will not have an optimized result or outcome. Right. It just reminds me of something I picked up from the book, actually, you speaking now, because uh, I read the re- read the Conversational Intelligence book by Judith mm-hmm. Clay before I came on the show. And uh, she cited this study where they showed 
people in, in a group, two lines, and one line was shorter than the other. Mm-hmm. And they set it up such that the, the dominant voice in the group told the rest of the group, ah, yes, th- this short line uh, is the same length uh, as the other line. Mm-hmm. And in some, in the majority of cases, the rest of the group will follow the dominant route. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's patently obvious exactly. that the lines were not the same length. I, I thought that was fascinating, right? Such a mm-hmm. simple experiment. And then how often do we see that in life, right? That Absolutely. the dominant voice in the room, everyone complies. And I suppose that, yeah, that's what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And that's what's called influence. But I mean, it doesn't open all the options. It doesn't explore. It doesn't... Uh, you know, it, it's like, okay, this is a quick decision. Um, he or she is the leader and he or she tells so. So uh, let's just go for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so when you say out amplifying the outcome you or, 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 and a richer outcome, it's it, that's true because um, you're, you're bringing, I, su- I suppose, a, a, a greater level of, a collective engagement into whatever comes out of this conversation? Is it something Exactly. Like? You're bringing in the expertise and the knowledge and the wisdom of everybody. Often right. I have leaders and they tell me, you know what, when I'm in a meeting with my team, they don't say anything. I have to say everything. And even if I ask or if I ask twice, they just don't respond. And then I ask, how do you ask and then they say, yeah, I, I'll just, you know, I, I say this and then I ask, do you agree? Or do you have anything, who has anything else to bring in? Or do you have any uh, remarks or, or feedback? And they just say, no. It's just how my team is. And often I, I'm, very often I'm able to to prove difference because when you work with, uh, with that team then and when you bring in other ways of asking, and much better ways of listening. And when you bring in time and focus and attention for people, and when you build trust, trust that if they say something, it will not be rejected or it will not be ridiculized or it will not be ignored, then you create completely different conversations. Right. So different ways of asking, different ways of listening and Mm -hmm. building trust. Should we take yeah. those in turn? Because <laughs> I'm sure that's going to resonate with a lot of people, right? Yeah, they've they've, exactly. they've been in that situation. Any comments? Yeah, <laughs> and the deathly silence. I mean, I've done it in workshops. I mean, yeah. you know, I did a lot of my work is yeah is running workshops. How often you know I present something for ten minutes? I'm like, any queries on that? Any questions? Nada, nothing. Mm-hmm. Crickets. Exactly. Exactly. Well, some people have they need time to process their question, and by the time it's almost there. There's another topic or, you know, you you lose the focus. And um, that's very contagious because when you do that once or twice, next time people won't even start processing a feedback or an input or an answer because they say, well, you know, what's the use? And then you you create what you certainly don't want. That's uh, right. Yeah. But I found that to be true, even when I've had very little prior interaction with the group. So So I suspect some of this is just conditioned you know, anybody who they perceive as authority figure, um, they may respond in this way, even if I've not given them any kind of pattern of behavior that would mean they were distrusting me, right? Mm-hmm. It might simply be conditioned. Exactly. Um, so, okay, so you, you're gone. Sorry, sorry. you're going to say. Um, I, w- I wanted to say that there are so many uh, little things and even fun things to, to generate input from the group. And it's just taking the time because often, you know, uh, in our meetings, we have like this uh, this uh, hard closure time and we, we have so many points on our agenda and we want to discuss so many things, but we actually don't discuss them. And we think uh, going fast and asking once for input and not getting one, not getting input, that is enough. And we will save time by not asking again or asking in a different way, but we don't save time because in the end, when, when the project needs to be rolled out, there is misunderstanding, there's misconception, there's frustration, and it takes a lot of time to correct that. And additionally, uh, you have breaches of trust, which makes it even diff- more difficult if something goes wrong to, to, you know, to restore the trust and to, to start in a, in a different way. Mm. So what... So you've added another thing there, things to make it fun. But to go back to the asking questions, what what are the, some of the questions that we can ask differently? Or 
Yeah, the, uh, first of all, and and this is one of the of the conversational inter, um, uh, intelligence uh, capabilities or essentials that Judith mentions is the listening to connect. Very often we ask questions that are meant to confirm what we say, uh, or just questions that want to get people in a certain direction. But asking questions for which you have no answers is a way to ask questions from curiosity, where you really want to find out uh, where people are, what uh, what their mindset is, uh, what their concerns are, what other options or, or opportunities they see. It is an, it's not about uh, asking for what you already know, but asking for new things. And that takes a little time. I, I, I agree with that. But it is, uh, it is creating a lot more um, variety in, in, in the options that you, that you can use in order to come to your outcome or to your results. Right. So to give me an example of that, then, let's just take my, my, my case. I, I presented some technical concept to a group of people and I want to get their response to that. And I don't want to have crickets. I, I don't want to have silence. What, what might be an example of a question I could ask? A question could be, um, what would be the first case that you see used for this technique or for this concept in your daily life? Mm. Yeah, because I don't have an answer to that. Only they have an answer to that. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. That's interesting. And I'm not looking to confirm that they've understood what I want them to understand. Mm -hmm. I'm... Yeah, and, I'm, and, I'm, I'm curious about yeah, yeah what it means and when you wait for those answers then you also immediately can check uh if they understood if they made the, the the translation from the concept to something that they actually can do and that's what also happens in meetings or like in general conversations with 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 with, with colleagues with peers with your team but also with your your partner or with your children it's like checking if they have understood or what they have understood exactly. And that's completely different than saying, any questions? No? Okay, let's go to the next or see you next time. Because it doesn't give you any feedback on how it came in. Yes. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. Yes, and that makes a lot of sense. And in the book, uh, Judith talks about the five blind, blind spots that we mm -hmm. have and this pertains i think to one of one of those that it's the, the the listener makes meaning in their own mind based on their own experiences exactly um i suppose exactly. a whole host of factors and uh we, we we have that as a blind spot we we assume that we're a kind of a meaning transference machine right mm -hmm. but, but we're really not exactly and and you you don't know where people are. If you ask those open questions, if you ask the questions for which you have no answers, then it is easier. I mean, it needs practice. I I, I agree with that, but it's easier to find out if your team or or your your conversation partner is in resistor, in skeptic, in wait and see modus, or if they are in in experimenter or in co-creation and as as a facilitator or as a trainer you you want your 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 participants at least in the experimental phase like yeah i'm going to try this out let me do this and see what it brings if they say yeah right you know been there done that got the t-shirt i mean what's what's the point of your of your session Right. And I can see that with your example, because if I say what, how would you use this in your, in your life? Give me an example. And, and, and the answer is no, I've got no use for this. Then mm -hmm. that gives you a clue. Maybe they're in resistor right? or skeptic. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And then you can ask other questions. Yeah. Like uh, what, what could be a case um, that is not in your life, but that could be in somebody else's life that you might feel this would apply to or what is holding you back from applying it things like that and then you can you can build the trust you can build a conversation because if they say no then you know that they have disconnected in some way and there's always a reason for that and and judith explains that with uh, with some of the six brains and without going into the the six brains in detail i am not a neuroscientist oh, um, we, we, they've increased in the book there were five i'm intrigued a, we've had yeah. we've had brain inflation yes exactly uh, i think what you miss in the book is the gut brain 
Yeah, so the gut brain is the brain that is in our stomach and there's uh, new research showing that there's so much going in in our intestines um, that we cannot ignore. And I won't go too deep into that, but it's another very good case for being careful what you put in your mouth because the impact of your food on your processing in your stomach has an enormous impact on how we function. Um, I mean, if, if, if your audience wants to know more, please, uh, read the book and do the research, or I can, I don't know if you want some links with, with the information about that. It is amazing. But the two brains that are very, very relevant in, in all this concept, in this whole concept of conversational intelligence is first of all, our primitive brain or reptile brain that is at the back here, uh, of our head. And that is actually our oldest brain. And um, it's a lifesaver. It's uh, it's the brain that has uh, make it uh, made it possible to to still be there because it's a brain that is constantly scanning for danger and for risk. So it's very 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 useful. So just imagine, uh, like ages ago, you were uh, walking in the forest and you meet this big 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 brown bear. Your reptile brain will be activated like in a nanosecond and it will have four options for you. It's like you might think, okay, I'm stronger than this bear, so I will fight. You also might think I can run faster than the bear, so I will flight. You could say, I'll just paralyze and maybe the bear won't see me and he will just pass. Or I could pace and I can say, hey, Mr. Bear, how are you doing? I guess you're not very hungry. So please, you know, just continue what you were doing. So these are the four basic reactions that our reptile brain, our primitive brain has. It's fight, flight, appease and paralyze. I guess a lot of people know that. What we don't, what we're not aware of is that 80% of the people are in their reptile brain for 80% of the time. And we are not in life-threatening situations, but no, there's I so did not much. Know that that is new, right? That, in, yeah. I mean, there's there's so much research about that. There's so much stress in our life. There's so many deadlines. There's so many things that that makes us uh, that make us anxious or or concerned or stressed that we are constantly in that reptile brain. And there's only four things we do there. I mean, we're wired like that, so everybody is is excused for it. But it is what happens. And these are not four constructive behaviors. They're not problem-solving, innovative behaviors. But watch what people do all the time. Watch watch what happens in, in traffic. I mean, when somebody just passes, you know, I don't know how to explain that in English, but, you know, you're driving and somebody gets in front of you and you really have to. Cuts you up. Yes, exactly. Thank you for that. I mean, that's not a life-threatening situation. But what what do we do? think of it what do we do yeah, <laughs> yeah? i won't give the hand signal on, on, on. so i guess everybody can think that for himself or for herself so the only the other thing is that when we are in this uh, reptile brain functioning we produce cortisol and cortisol is our stress hormone and it doesn't give us a lot of good feelings on the contrary if we're constantly producing cortisol we have an overdose and it is wearing us out it is where depressions come it is where burnouts come so this is not the place we want to be in and people do not take the, the time to reflect on this you know so so there's another part of our brain or newest part of the brain and that is our prefrontal cortex or our executive brain that is i mean i i'm skipping a lot here so please my apologies for this but our executive brain is the brain where we build trust where we have um options where we are able to be creative disruptive and this is our part of the brain that makes us um that makes us different from, from other animals, but also that makes it possible for us to establish relationships and to uh, be open to connect and to listen to connect and to, again, there I am, amplify the outcomes of our conversations and our meetings. And that's the place that we want to be. And that's the place where we produce oxytocin. Do you, do you recognize okay. this feeling when you have this great conversation and everybody was able to, to, to give feedback and to give their input and, and 
you're sure that everybody is on the same line and understood everything. And we have like just uh, drowned this, this, this great charter where we agreed on what we were going to do and everybody is involved and committed and engaged. Yeah, exactly. I mean, those, those meetings are rare, but they, I do. I have had them, right? Yeah, you come exactly. out and you, you kind of feel like you want a high five or you want a group yeah. hug or you you, you yeah. feel like you're ready to, to to take on the world. Yes, exactly. Do you want do you want those meetings? Then there we are. Then there we are. This is about conversational intelligence. This is about being aware the of the impact of your behavior, of the impact of, for example, the asking questions for which you have no answers. So, so Judith has developed five um, conversational intel- um, essentials, and asking the questions for which you have no answers is is, is a very important one. It's a very good starter. Yeah. Right. The other thing you mentioned was listening differently. Right. Well, well tell, exactly. tell me more. Listening def- uh, differently is. First of all, it is being open to influence. And by influence, we mean um, being open for the things that we did not expect, for the answers, for the input, for the feedback that we did not expect, for the options that we did not expect. And um, listening to connect means listening at a deeper level, not listening to what somebody is saying in order to be able to use that to construct your arguments. But listening to uh, to connect is about, and that's a, an, another essential that Judith has mentioned, it is about double-clicking. It is about going deeper. It is about, oh, this is something that I didn't heard of before. Tell me more. I want to know more. Okay. Yeah. Drilling, it's completely different from down. like, yeah. let's not go there. We don't have time for that. Let's just park this for another meeting. Do you know those? Yeah. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. That's it about. So if given this example, I, I present my, my, my technical idea. Somebody says, oh, yes, I could use that. I can use that in my life in this way. Then I'm, I'm double clicking. I'm drilling down. So what am I saying like at that point? Or, what? Oh, that's great. How would you do that? What, again, what would be the first thing that you could do? Hmm. Yeah. What would it be like if you do that? Just start imagining like tomorrow you use this. What would be the impact? Tell me about that. Or what would possibly hold you back? How I can, how can I support you further in order to make sure that you, that you feel this inner strength to do this tomorrow? Yeah. And it's interesting, as I said, being somebody who, who, who is sort of, very familiar with a lot of these ideas. Even I, I'll just be honest with the thought that comes up into my mind. I'm like, God, if I was working a group of 12 people and I got an answer like that from each of them, and then I drilled down with each of them, I can feel a little bit of fear in me. It's like, God, you know, I'd never get out of the room if I had to do that with all of them. I understand. I understand. Um, What I often do is um, when I, um, facilitating a group, I always ask those questions. But what I do then is I then I say, okay, just close your eyes, take a few deep breaths and center. Um, obviously, I might have done a centering exercise before that and reflect on this and write it down. And then I give them some time to write it down. And I, then I invite them to um, talk about this with your neighbor and just listen to what he or she has to say. Just Just bring it, explicit it. And so then it takes like 10 minutes and that's okay. I mean, I calculated in my sessions and that's okay because then in these 10 minutes, people have centered, they have reflected, they wrote it down and journaling. I mean, this is like a a very, very basic form of journaling, but it is journaling. It's giving them the space to process, to make new connections in their brain. And then telling it to somebody is another way to uh, to embody it. And then we didn't spend like 10 minutes for every participant to do that because, you know, when you're at number nine, uh, the other people might think, yeah, okay, good, good, you know. Let's let's move forward because you always have people who want to move forward. But if you just take those 10 minutes and you level it with everybody, that might work. 
Yeah, and I can also see that people, even if they're not in, you know, if they're not in the profession of leading workshops, which I guess most people aren't, um, even just in a standard meeting, that kind of technique uh, might be a way to, um, yeah. Absolutely. Assuage people's fears that this is going to take too long, right? Yes, absolutely. This is a great tool to use in a meeting as well, where you say, even if there's a lot of people where you can say, okay, uh, think about this for yourself, take some time and then discuss with your neighbor. And then probably um, some people will bring things to the table that you were not aware of, like concerns or, or issues they see or good ideas or additional things that they bring like, okay, hey, we could do that and that as well. And then you will have completely different meetings. Then you will not sit in, in front of me and saying, you know, my team, no, no input, no feedback. Because you give them like the, the, the playing field to do that. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. And I really start to see the contrast now between, even in my example, um, and we see this a lot in training courses, right? You've got the, you've got the trainer who's, who's teaching some material and then there are these learning outcomes. <laughs> 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 that, that these people must learn right and have we yeah. hit our learning outcomes but that's all about that's kind of an i conversation i mean you it's sort of couched in we language we're going to learn this together but really it's about my design training i want to deliver and the things i want you to learn exactly uh, and it is about my slide deck and it is about when somebody asks a question and it's not on my slide deck i'm like okay let's park this i hear what you say but let's park this or let's talk about this during the break or after the session so it, it is indeed like you say it is about you but when you are facilitating or when you are leading a meeting it's not about you it's about what happens in in the team that's yeah. uh, and another thing that i really like and i I do that in my sessions, and this is also a great tool for people uh, starting their meeting with, is uh, we create our terms of engagement. So what I start with is uh, asking people, what do you really need from yourself? And what do you need really need from other people in order to make this session or this meeting successful? Think of it. And they get post-its now. So and uh, I am inviting them to write every idea on a different post-it note. So I make sure they have a bunch. And then we, you know, we put them on a wall and then we start clustering. What we do there is we uh, distill like uh, five or six or seven guiding principles, like what we expect from each other and from ourselves in this meeting. It could be very simple things like we come on time or we come prepared. We do not interrupt each other. How do we deal with conflict? How do we deal with um, um, the, um, the way that we um, explain our teams what happened in the meeting? So there's, and that's actually one of the other conversational essentials. It's priming for trust. It is um, creating this, this, this team dynamic or this conversation dynamic where everybody feels like, okay, we are going to interact with each other in a way that we have agreed on, which is with respect and with openness and with candor and if possible with vulnerability. So we can, we can bring our concerns to the table and they will be dealt with. And that's a great exercise also to do in it with a team. And it does not take like an hour. It takes like 10 or 15 minutes. And a lot of people that come to my facilitation sessions, they start doing that in their teams. And they say, it's amazing. It really establishes trust. Yeah. yeah. Um, I can imagine. Um, and the other thing, the third thing you, you, you said was um, um, making it fun. So what are some examples of... I don't know, making it fun. I mean, it, it's making it light. Um, having people do exercises. Um, um, reorganize the room. So when I do like a two-hour session, the room never stays the same. I have people sit in, in, in small teams and bigger teams, reorganize the room. I let them do breathing exercises, walking around and pick a partner to have a conversation. That, that's, that's one thing. It's like um, bringing oxygen to the, to the event because if people sit there for like two hours, even if they're very interested and engaged still, I mean, there's, there, there's this physiological thing happening. Um, it is about um, 
a different posture creates different energy or new energy. Uh, so that's one thing. And and yeah, fun facts, icebreakers. Um, have people tell great stories, unexpected stories. Uh, it doesn't have to be serious in order to be good. Okay. Uh, I'm picking up here what you talked about, the the organizing the room, and this, this is mentioned in the book. And it kind of goes back to our earlier point around if you have somebody at the head of the table, that's automatically going to create a dynamic. Exactly. Yeah. And exactly. It's more likely to create an eye dynamic where the person in the authority seat um, will yeah. be listened to differently. You're in there. It's about we. And it's the same in meetings. If if you are uh, a team leader and you always have this uh you know this place where you're sitting, um, maybe at the head of the table, I mean uh, you can you can change that setting. It's not like uh, in concrete, you can change that setting. You can also invite people to, to take different places, even during a meeting. Uh, you can ask people like, um, uh, is it possible to, to visualize that? Can, can you use a flip? You know, and then people get up and, and, and there's some, you know, there's some break. There's a lot of possibilities to, to, to add oxygen. Yeah. Yeah. Hence the name of your, uh, your consultancy right? exactly exactly yeah oxygen for leadership exactly. so that's a that's a guiding metaphor for you, do you it is um in many ways actually it is uh, metaphorically but it is also um literally because i always do breathing exercises with my teams uh also with my with my individual coaching clients because breathing is something that it doesn't take an effort and if we intentionally breathe the right way we can breathe through a lot of things, and uh, also in my in my in my coaching sessions, individual, even my team coaching sessions, I take people out and we go for a walk, and you have a completely different dynamic. Dynamic, you really have the impact on on nature on a transformation process. So, I strongly believe in the power of oxygen. Yeah, Absolutely. a workshop. <laughs> yeah, that one. So the okay. So I'm just now, I'm now wondering: Am I breathing correctly for our conversation? What What's the simple simple things you suggest from from a breathing perspective? Uh, can Can I just yeah go for it? Demonstrate that. So so uh, again, not going to into a lot of detail, but basically what we do, especially when we're stressed and anxious, we breathe. You won't be able to do that, but we breathe in our upper body. And we tend to breathe faster. So uh, there's no oxygen carried in the areas that there should be. And actually, it's like we're making ourselves ready to fight or to flight. So this is typically a breathing pattern of people that are in their reptile brain. And when you start breathing slower, uh, there's a lot to say about that. But when you start breathing slower, you physio physiologically give the uh, sign to your reptile brain that it is okay. So basically you, you uh, tame your reptile brain. And breathing is just, uh, I, I often do in my session, just uh, four counts in and eight counts out, inviting people to put one of their hands on their stomach and one of their hands on, and the other hand on, on their um, um, breast. And if you breathe in, you feel your belly becoming bigger like a balloon. So you do. And if you do this three times, you already feel different. I and can feel a little bit now, a little bit calm. It might sometimes feel awkward to do that in a meeting, but you don't have to do that like, you know, uh, like look at me breathing. You can do that very silently. Or if, if you know, if there's too much tension or too much stress, you can just uh, get up and, uh, and, and take something to drink, ask other people if they want to drink something, and you already reorganize the room. Or you can, you can go to the restroom for a while and, and there's, you know, there's a possibility to calm your brain down and to see different perspectives. And if you ask yourself in those moments, like, okay, what is happening here? Why am I anxious? Why am I so stressed? And you can name it. It already makes a difference. 
Okay, so please don't think that like by doing this, like instantly, you know, we will have completely different meetings. It's a practice. It's something that you embody, but it's so easy. So I can only recommend to to try that. If something, you know, if something hits you in the face, instead of reacting from your reptile brain, what is going on here? And this is an open, this is already activating your prefrontal cortex because you ask this question, what is going on here? Why am I feeling this way? What value or what belief is hit here? And how am I going to respond to that? So your response will be completely different than when you just, you know, fight or flight or, or paralyze or do, or, you know, or do nothing. So uh, try it, try it. Yes. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. I, I think mm -hmm. <clears throat> with this and other techniques, though, the hardest thing I find is that often when you need them the most, you're least likely to use them. That's why it takes practice. So you have embodied it. If you have embodied it, you will be very, it will be very e much easier for you to recollect that and go into. Of course, don't wait until you're in this overdrive in what we call an amygdala hijack, because when our values or our beliefs are hit really, really hard, we can, uh, you know, get our, our amygdala gets triggered. And mm -hmm. at that time, there's nothing that we will hear that makes sense. Not, there's nothing that we will say that makes sense. So um, it is creating the awareness of what is really triggering you, what is getting you hijacked by your amygdala, um, amygdala and um, build that awareness and be able to, before that happens, you know, breathe through it or or pose or do anything that makes you feel calmer and that puts you like in this meta position that makes you that makes you ask why is this going on what is happening here why am i feeling this way yeah and have that conversation with yourself does that yeah. does that make sense that, that, that makes a lot of sense and um because i you know I do, I do some yoga and sometimes i meditate on a good day and I'm just thinking about with my kids, I notice if I manage even to get a few minutes of deep breathing in before I go into what's often like bed, you know, bedtime or, mm -hmm. or times when I know there's more likely to be high stress, uh, it makes such a difference. So that it makes sense to him to build this as a practice. Exactly. <clears throat> for importance, for meetings that we know there's likely to be some tensions or um, any any place in our lives, I guess, where we might sense we're heading towards some some kind of yeah clash mm -hmm. exactly uh, yeah exactly. Um, yeah so okay so we've talked about the types of questions we've talked about listening and double clicking mm -hmm. and going deeper uh, we've talked about breathing we've talked about making things fun um any other sort of p pertinent facets of this way of working I think the conversational essentials are the elements that you can use in the conversations that you have and in the meetings that you have. But what I also would like to uh, bring here is that um, in order to, to embody that, it is like you say, it's essential to build a practice. And there are so many practices that we can, or rituals that we can install in our life that do, does not have to take a lot of time. I would say, I would ask for like 10 or 15 minutes every day, but that will give you the, 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 the strength and make it possible for you to find this calm place in, into your, uh, in, in yourself, uh, to, to response from and there are uh, you mentioned meditation and yoga and some people say you know I tried that that's not for me but there are other things that you can do in order to to be still and it could be like journaling this is a, a practice that I, I use and I always also invite my my clients to do that it is to take like 10 or 15 minutes every evening and and journal and you can do that in unstructured but um what i do is uh and what i invite my clients to do is to do that in like a, a structured way so uh you 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 build awareness of certain things and um the questions that i often use is um what did i choose today what went well today 
what did I learn today? And what would I change? Mm. And systematically journaling about these questions will bring you, it, it's it's open for um, your intention and your mindset, like how was your mindset? It's open for your successes. It's open for like what went well, what did what did I do good or, or what was, you know, uh, a success today? Uh, it's open for your growth. What did I learn? And it's open for, for change. What can I change? And my advice is also in the morning when you wake up, instead of immediately activating everything you need to do and this meeting you have and you don't really like that and, and, and all your concerns, is again also to take some deep breaths and ask yourself, what do I choose today? And it is setting your intentions. Setting intentions is a very, very good practice. And if you can combine that with yoga or with meditation, that's great. If it's not your thing, this already is a very good start. Or else, you know, go out for a walk, uh, do something that you really are in flow when you do it. And not in terms of competition, because sometimes people then say, oh, you know, yes, I, I run. Uh, I like this runner high. That's not what I mean. Although it's very, very useful to do that. But that's not where you reflect. That's not where you're calm. And that's basically, if you can do that for like 10 minutes a day, then you will notice that this trigger in the back of your head will not be triggered as much because you have built this um, place of serenity and calm that will make you stronger, that, that will give you more confidence to, to uh, uh, formulate a response to what is happening and not that reaction that is uh, more fight, flight, appease or, uh, or paralyze reptile brain behavior. Right. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. And I'm sure for, uh, yeah, as you say, there are a lot of people who have a, Resist, resist or, or have negative experience with some of these uh, other techniques. That sounds mm -hmm. really simple. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of research and, and practice that proves that that really works. And we think we don't have the time, but then think of how much time we lose uh, correcting things because we just reacted instead of responded or how many misunderstandings there is or how much stress there is because things or, you know, because we're in the 90% of the conversations that didn't make their mark. So those 10 minutes are a small investment. Yes. Yeah. yes. And it makes you feel good. Yes. Yes, mm -hmm. that's right. Yes. Uh, and it doesn't cost anything. <laughs> no, no. And, and also the other the other thing is that it's good. I can understand doing it in the morning is a good one because uh, often our willpower is at its highest. I don't know if you've read any of the research on willpower, but... Um, mm -hmm basically our, our willpower dwindles during the day right so uh making it a morning routine makes sense yeah um what of, of all of the 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 parts of this that you've taken on in terms of practice which did you which have you found the hardest and what did you have to do to to, to master that the double clicking um for me um it is about making the time to make sure that we understand each other correctly, not assuming like, yeah, he he's talking about team success. I know what that means. So let's go there. Or uh, she is talking about stress. I know stress. So let's jump into it. But and then sometimes you like reframe things. So um, people tell me something. I say, oh, yes. And uh, you mean this and this. And they say. No, that's not what I mean. I said, oh, okay. So now I, I learned, and, and I, I'm not perfect, that nobody is, but I'm not perfect. And I learned when people tell something, I'm always curious, like, um, tell me a little bit more about that. How do you see that? How does it show up? Um, how would you visualize it? Um, what example do you have? So in order to make sure that, and even then, I mean, you can never be like 100% at the same level, but it makes a lot of difference because if you start assuming or if you start reframing from your own model of the world and then you continue on that, you, you disconnect with people. 
because immediately they go they go in like more the resistor or the skeptic because they say oh she she didn't get what i meant and she yeah. didn't give me the time to explain so you're not in this zone of experimenter and co-creator because you're disconnected so that that is what i learned yeah absolutely uh, and so so i get that you found it so that's the bit you found really hard. And so what, what is it that you're doing in your mind to, to keep yourself with them or to, to have you do that? First of all, it is becoming aware of that. So um, I, I include it in my, in my journaling practice. Uh, so uh, often it, it happens and I say, okay, there I there went again. And then I, I, I correct in the moment, if possible. If not, I learn from it like creating that awareness. And it is about focusing and connecting with people and um, being able to uh, not make it about you, not making it about your model of the world, not making it about your intentions, but about theirs or about ours, depending on the context. Yeah. So, so catching us up in the moment, but journaling, it sounds like journaling has been a big part of this. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that that tallies with something in the book as well, the uh, research around people, great people, people who've achieved greatness in their field. And one characteristic is this ability to identify without judgment where they've you know, made a mistake or they've, they've done something that didn't have the desired outcome, mm-hmm. making a note of it, asking themselves, how would I change that? And, and then integrating it very quickly into how they operate. Exactly. Yeah. So what did I choose today could then be, I chose to go for my own assumption and not listen. And then what did I learn is um, I, I I could then define some ways not to do that in the future. So this there's a possibility in journaling, but of course you can do it in the moment as well, if you have the possibility and, and just bring it to the table and say, I can see now that I assumed and that I misunderstood what you meant. So can we please go back there? And um, so what does it, and, and ask your questions for which you don't have answers because you thought you did. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes, that uh, makes makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. There's also, I, it's, his name escapes me right now, but there's a, there's a very famous um, hedge fund manager in the US who's written this book, 12 Principles. I've not read the book, but one of the things I read about the book was that he talks about that, um, precisely that. And one of the things that they learned and built as a culture in that company was as soon as they made any time mistake was, okay, pause. You know, what can we do? What, what, what did we do wrongly? You know, what, how could we have done it differently? What, what, what do we need to change about how we mm-hmm. operate? And, and it meant that potentially because whilst they were going through that analysis they maybe they missed out on a certain deal or they lost a, um, some opportunity but in the long run they're building this m- much more effective group of people over time yeah. uh, to to yeah to to uh, you know well but in their cases to manage money but it, it, the same principle might apply in any any yeah, situation i believe that and it takes trust it takes vulnerability and it takes courage to do that. So as a leader in your organization, it's your responsibility to, to, to build that trust and to nurture that trust and to, to be the first one to do these things. Yes. And you can't imagine the impact of that. No? That's right. That's where the leadership aspect comes in is to be the first person to say, okay, okay, guys, we're going to start this meeting with, uh, with some breathing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it could be a possibility depending. So people might feel very, very awkward and then it could be uh, interesting or, or good to, to explain why you want to do that. Because if you say, you know, I would love to have the quality of our meetings um, better. Uh, I'm sure that we can have richer and different outcomes and in order to do so, uh, I think this or this and this could be a good idea. Would Are you in for this? Do you want to try? You know, and some people might resist. They might be at this uh, left side of the, of the conversational dashboard. Um, if you see that, you could find something else that might be like a smaller step. It depends. It depends. I, I mean, as a leader, you know your people and you know uh, what would work. Uh, the only thing is get them a little bit out of their comfort zone. And get yourself a little bit out of the comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah. Be vulnerable. 
be vulnerable and expect resistance. That's another point that Judy, in fact, I tweeted it out or put it on LinkedIn that she makes in the book is that um, stop managing resistance. Resistance oh. is normal. It's what happens when people receive a you know, new idea. It's exactly important. it's what we do. We challenge. Exactly. Yeah. And I don't want to say with the conversational dashboard that we should not or could not or cannot be in the skeptical resistor mode. Not at all. I mean, those are mindsets that we all have. And we could have like all the different mindsets in one single meeting. Absolutely. It is about being aware of that and see what we can do to help the other to come to a better place of interaction. Or if you are there yourself, Ask yourself, why am I here? Why am I resistant? What is triggering me here in my beliefs, in my values? And how can I change that? And we we don't have time to go there, but there's a lot of possibilities to upregulate and downregulate ourselves and other people in terms of the the neurochemicals uh, by, by by saying things differently, by asking things differently, by, by, um, by trying things out, uh, like minor tweaks sometimes in, in the way we communicate that make a big, big difference. Yeah. 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 But if, if your audience is interested, they can read the book. It's a great book. It's one of the best books I've ever read and it's one of the best concepts. And, uh, I mean, I'm in coaching for many, many years and I do at least two certifications every year. And this is really the, the one, the conversation intelligence model is very, very powerful. And it's, it's great if you can have that introduced by a facilitator or by a coach, but you will find a lot of amazing things there that you can do for yourself and, and just try them out and, and see the impact, notice the difference. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting is you found it the most, most powerful. Why, why in particular versus all the other modalities and ways oh, of thinking? What, 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 what has it stand out for you? Because it offers the possibility to create different relationships. It's, it's creating different cultures. It's creating different organizations. It's creating a different world. Because it doesn't take a lot of uh, IQ. It takes a lot of EQ, I, I know. But it's simple, simple things that basically we all know. It's in all of us. So it's not like we have to um, invest a lot in, in intellectual capability to get this working. These are very simple things that we can install. Right. Um, and it does improve the quality of our conversations. It does improve the, quali- the quality of my work, of my coaching work, of my facilitation work, because I'm much more aware of that now. And um, I have learned how to, um, how to still my reptile brain and how to activate my prefrontal cortex and, and, and respond, response from that place. And it makes a diff- big difference. I can only invite everybody, just try <laughs> try yeah <laughs> yeah try and let us know yeah right well maybe that's uh maybe that's a good place to to conclude mm-hmm. uh yes yeah it's getting out of your comfort zone and bringing in these uh these powerful little elements in in your conversation in your relationship and i can tell you this if you're doing it uh you will uh enhance the quality of the the conversations with uh with everybody around you and also with yourself and that's also a big win ah uh, yes the conversation with myself so the conversation you're with a critic yelling yeah, at you yeah, all the time yeah, yeah. yeah. which is one of the blind spots actually i know there's another <laughs> Another concept is this. Yeah, this, exactly. This but maybe that's... that we um, we uh, we think we've heard what the other person has said, but really what we re- or, sorry we, we think we remember what the other person said, but really what we remember is the internal voice, what our reactions, and what was said. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But maybe that's a, that's a subject for uh, for another session because yeah. there's a lot to say about that as well. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Okay. 
Well, thank you very much uh, for this introductory tour to Conversational Intelligence. So. You're very welcome, Richard. It was a pleasure doing that. As you probably have seen, it's one of my favorite topics. Uh, I get in flow when I do this and when I share this. Yes. And, uh, uh, the only thing I can do is wishing you a lot of healthy conversations and yes. life-changing conversations. Yes, absolutely. So in terms of people who want to hear more on there's the book. I'll, I'll put it up here for those watching uh conversational intelligence by uh judith glazer and then your your company oxygen oxygen for leadership tell people a bit about that and where they can find you oxygen for leadership is a platform i work from um for my um individual coaching and facilitation but also to co-create uh platforms and, and programs for uh, for bigger companies together with other people um, and if you want to dig deeper into conversational intelligence, I'm organizing the Oxygen for Leadership Circles. And these are nine sessions of 90 minutes by nine people where we really dig deeper and experiment and practice online. So if you want to join us, feel free. Um, there's a website or a web page about that that is um, www.oxygenforleadership.com slash circles and oxygen for leadership it's a number four so you don't have to spell it in words so uh feel free to to join us uh, i'm on linkedin i um i honor my connection requests and if there's any support that you need or information that you need just reach out via linkedin and i'm be will be very happy to see how i can uh, help you or send you information or whatever might be useful for you at that moment feel free okay thank you so much once more helena De thank you the monk the monk yes thank you so much richard <laughs> it was time. great being here and um yeah let me know if you have feedback from the audience i i'm yes. very interested to to know how this landed and um what else they they need uh in order to uh practice this and Brilliant. as i said I wish you a lot of conversations. Okay. Thank you, Helena. See, See you later, you. Richard. Bye Take bye. care. Bye-bye. The Being Human podcast was brought to you by First Human. For more on First Human's human-focused coaching and leadership programs, head to firsthuman.com.